We've all experienced it. You go to a doctor's office, they sit with you for five minutes, and then write you another prescription. Something is seriously wrong with healthcare in America. But what can you do about it? Today, we're going to be talking about why it's so important to take back control that we've relinquished to doctors. We'll help you get back in the driver's seat of your own health journey. Hi, I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra, and I'm with my son, Dr. Drew Sinatra. Hey folks, welcome to Be Healthistic. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that is more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. Health isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Everyone has their own needs to be healthistic. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Drs. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. They'll share with you the best that traditional and modern medicine has to offer so that you could be more productive and more proactive in managing your overall health. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. Before we launch into our discussion today, I wanted to encourage you to be a proactive member of our Be Healthistic community. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Also, check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will feature video versions of our episodes plus video extras you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steven Sinatra, and other Healthy Directions experts, as well as a robust library of health and wellness content over on the Healthy Directions site. So visit HealthyDirections.com to explore our database of well-researched content and information. And of course, you can always follow us on our social media channels. You know, Drew, sometimes the greatest moments occur in the middle of the night where it can have an incredible aspect on your own life. I'll never forget this story. I admitted a gentleman through the emergency room, it was about four o'clock in the morning. And I go upstairs to the CCU and I meet his internist up there. He came in as well. And we had just sent this guy home six months ago. And he came back through the ER, I call it revolving door medicine, with the exact same symptoms as before. Of course, we treated them with conventional you know, methodologies. We use pharmaceutical drugs and things like that but he was back again. Something's got to give. I mean, at that point, the internist and I looked at one another and we said, we got to do something different. And that's one of the times when I realized how important complementary or preventive medicine is. It's so vitally important, especially when you're dealing with acute cardiac situations or emergencies. Well, that's really one of the reasons why I became a naturopathic doctor is I wanted to do something differently with my health because as a kid, being really sick, being chronically ill, being on all these medications. And the doctors back then didn't really offer me any solutions. And I had, I had no roadmap. I had nowhere to go. So I had to really pave my own way. And that's partly why I went to naturopathic medical school so that I could learn different modalities, different procedures, learn about you know exercise and mind-body medicine and good nutrition and targeted nutri nutraceuticals to really get my body and my mind in better working order. And I mean, I feel so blessed today being a naturopathic doctor because when I see a patient for the first time, I've got 60 minutes to hear their story, to be in front of them, to dig deep into their health history, and to really be the detective that I have to be to uncover and unravel 
just the complexities of what's going on for this person and to offer them solutions. And when they come back to see me again, I've got 30 minutes to talk to them, right? Instead of five to 10 minutes, which you know conventional doctors have, which is just not enough time to connect with the patient in front of you and to help them. I feel blessed. So Drew, a lot of people have asked me, you know, why did I choose cardiology or, you know, even even more so, you know, why I became a conventional cardiologist in recovery. And I'll never forget it. I was in my office and I had patients that were waiting and, and my secretary was all nervous because the waiting time was 20 to 30 minutes. And all of a sudden a patient comes in and he said, I had to speak to this Jakob Rintz because he was managing his blood pressure and I had to talk to him. He was a Dutch chemist and he had a PhD. So anyway, I get on the phone and I'm listening to this guy. He's 91 years old and he's witty and erudite and smart. And I'm going, my gosh, if I ever made it to 91, I would like to be just like this guy. He said to me, hey, doc, I corrected my own heart. I didn't need bypass surgery. I did it with nutrition. I had maybe 30 minutes of nutrition in my entire training. He's talking to me about magnesium, and vitamin E, and phosphatidylcholine, and phosphatidylserine. I didn't even know what he was talking about. It was absolutely amazing. And then I get off the phone and I'm saying, he's 91. He corrected his own heart situation. He's sharp as a tack. I got to be just like him. That's when I became a conventional cardiologist in recovery. Great story. Amazing story, isn't it? That is. Now, your story is interesting, too, because I invited you to the hospital, remember? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, my, my story even goes back a little further. I mean, as a kid, I was a, I was a really sick kid. So I, I had asthma, I had allergies from a you know, young age, and uh, the doctors I went to, they just put me on medication. So I was on prednisone, I was on the albuterol inhalers, steroid inhalers. And the problem I had back then was that I thought being sick was normal. You know, I thought being symptomatic was something that everyone had to kind of go through and symptoms were normal. So I remember walking into that allergist's office. Remember him? Oh, yeah. yeah. I had fights with him. Yeah. I mean, he's a good, good man, but he never really, you know, addressed the underlying cause of why I was right. sick. But I remember looking around, looking at all these sick kids and I, and I said to myself, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be this sick kid anymore. So I made some changes at that point, you know, really decided that I wanted to strive towards health and not just be in this disease state in which I was. So yes, fast forward to, you know, 16 or 17 years old, and I'm listening to my father uh, speak on statins in a hospital. So I remember looking around at all the doctors and they looked unhealthy to me. They looked unhappy. They didn't want to be there. And then you're up at the top of the stage there talking about statin medications. And there was just this massive fight going on, you know, between the doctors. And uh, I really decided at that point, I didn't want to become a conventional medical doctor. I wanted to become a naturopathic doctor. I wanted more integrative medicine. I wanted to really understand the cause of illness. I really wanted to use more than just pharmaceuticals to help people. I wanted to use diet. I wanted to use herbal medicines. I wanted to use physical medicine, counseling, everything that goes into treating someone. I didn't want to be a conventional medical doctor who just really treated, you know, symptoms and diseases. I really wanted to promote health, to really understand the mechanisms behind good, sound health. I just remember that uh, you were so enthusiastic that you even said to me, Dad, can I come to your office and just shadow you? And this is before, you know, you made that decision of naturopathic medicine. You just wanted to see what I was doing in my everyday life. And uh, what was that like for you, sitting in my office when I was talking to patients? Oh man, those are those are those are the days. They really were because I saw I saw you in your prime with patients. I saw you listening to their stories, spending the time to sit down 
look them eye to eye and listen to their story for a solid 10, 15, 20, sometimes even 30 minutes. I remember you never pressured them. You know, you, there was never this time crunch. You sat and listened, and that was what the medicine was all about. You're right. Right? Just listening to their story was huge. I got the universal chill in that one, the angelic chill. Yeah, you know, I, I think the most powerful aspect of being a healer is to listen to that person, try to connect with them on an energetic level, and try to get in touch with their struggle. Look, we all have struggles. We all have our issues in life. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but if another person understands your struggle, uh, and you can do a dance with them, uh, then miracles can happen. And I really believe that. I have to tell you, uh, for me, becoming a psychotherapist was the icing on the cake about how to deal with the suffering of patients. And if you can get into a patient's psyche, and if that patient understands that you understand their sufferings and their struggles, uh, that's when doctoring becomes very good. And uh, that's what you're doing now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because, you know, the problem today is that you walk into a doctor's office and you've got five, 10 minutes max to talk about why you're there. Is that what it's like for you? As no, 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 not, not like for me. This is, this is more conventional medicine, right? Just the way insurance is set up and all that. So how do you get your message across? How do you get your story across? How do you tell why you're there in a matter of five to 10 minutes? You don't have that time. You don't have that luxury. So unfortunately, you walk in and you tell them, well, I've got high blood pressure. What, what can you do for me? What kind of pill can you give me? Instead of, I've got high blood pressure. Well, tell me about why you have high blood pressure. Why is that? What kind of stress do you have going on in your life? What's your diet like? What are your relationships like? That's the kind of work that you and I do. And that's so valuable to people because patients need time. They really need time to spend with their doctor. And unfortunately, the system is just not set up that way. You're absolutely right. Dad, let's talk about integrative medicine, which is the medicine that you and I both practice. Now, I, I look at conventional medicine and I think there is no better system out there for acute emergency care. Would you agree? Absolutely. So you, you, you break your leg, you break your arm, whatever it is, you go to the hospital, you go to urgent care and you get patched up. You have a heart attack. Yeah. You have an arrhythmia. You want pharmaceutical drugs. You need bypass surgery. You've got to call a surgeon. One of the best things about conventional medicine is acute cardiological care. I mean, look, arrhythmias can be deadly. You have to use pharmaceutical drugs. Blood pressure is that sore. People can get strokes. I mean, this is something that conventional medicine is good at. And uh, when it comes to bypass surgery, if you have refractory chest pain, you need a bypass. So let's face it, conventional medicine has its important attributes, especially when your life is on the line. Yeah. And I think the, the problem arises with, with chronic disease. Right. You look at conventional medicine right now and, and treating chronic disease is, is not happening properly, in my opinion. You know, we're, we're putting patients on medications for life, but not really addressing, well, why do you even have these symptoms in the first place? Really looking at the underlying causes. And I think that's where more the integrative approach comes in, you know, blending more of the natural medicine and conventional medicine, because really the fact of the matter is we need both systems. Right. We, we need both systems in order to really achieve optimal health. We need to encourage people to use other modalities that they can, they can become productive without being self-destructive because there's a lot of side effects to pharmaceutical drugs, let's face it. Yeah, there are, there are. And, and I think, you know, for people listening to this, just know, let's say if you do have diabetes, there's way more options than just taking metformin or insulin or whatever it is that you're going to be taking. I mean, I had a patient recently, she came in with a hemoglobin A1C of 7.9. She's diabetic, hadn't been tested in a long time, but I was confident because I knew she was motivated to make changes in her life with changing up her diet and exercising and taking some supplements, 
that I knew we could get that back down into at least the sixes and maybe if we're lucky in a year from now, perhaps in the fives, the high fives. Now, three months later, her helium global new and C dropped down to 6.6. And right now I'm awaiting her latest test results. So we'll see. But a major drop when she saw her, her primary care doctor, the, the, the doctor said, well, there's, a, there's an error with the lab. This doesn't make sense. There's no way you could have dropped that that fast. But I had her on a whole program and she was doing it 100% and she was extremely motivated to get that blood sugar under control. That's why good healers, uh, when they do this dance with their patients, and that word motivation is key because we want to give them the control back. In other words, we want to put them in the driver's seat. So if we can teach our patients certain ways of treating themselves without pharmaceutical drugs, and getting their life back, because that's what they really want. They want a control of their life without taking drugs. To me, that's a key of, uh, of good, healthy medicine. This is really why we're offering this podcast to our listeners, because we want you to have the knowledge to you know, be in the driver's seat. So if you've got diabetes, we don't want you to feel like you have to take a medication. That's your only solution. We want to give you all the tools that you need to change your diet up, to make sure you're eating the right fats, to make sure you're eating the right ratio of carbs and proteins, to make sure you're exercising properly, to make sure you've got you know the right nutraceuticals or supplements on board to help you on that journey. That's why you and me have to empower our listeners. Once we empower our listeners with vital information, they can get their life back. Again, we have to be productive without being self-destructive. That's sort of a mantra you know, in this healing series. Now, Dad, you mentioned being productive without being self-destructive. Now, the obvious things are, are, you know, lack of exercise or eating a poor diet or smoking is a very common one. But what are some of the, the less common destructive behaviors that people get into or obvious? Well, I think one of the most destructive behaviors uh, is anger. I mean, anger is like driving your car with your brakes on. It's okay to have anger. But if the anger goes into uncontrollable rage, that's not okay. Because people do funny things under rage, you know. They, they, they lose control of their bodies. You know, as a heart specialist and psychotherapist, I can tell you one of the best ways of getting rid of anger is to really communicate your anger with somebody. And you can, you can talk about it. Um, as a therapist, when I was working with patients in my office, for example, uh, one of the best ways of diffusing anger is to cry. I mean, it's unbelievable. Once the crying comes out, and I think crying is one of the best ways of alleviating the heartbreak that we all have that leads to heart disease. I think the emotions trump everything. And not only in heart health, I mean, I think it's health in general, but that's my point of view. And you know, it, working on the emotions can be really challenging. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you gotta work with a psychotherapist, you gotta work with someone that really knows how to you know, dig deep into the anger to figure out, well, how do we resolve this? What, what do you do? Do you do deep breathing? Do you do, you know, uh, other exercises to help reduce stress? I mean, it's, it's hard to really dive deep into anger, wouldn't you say? It is. And people do not want to dig into their emotions. Look, Drew, do you know how many times I have heard people tell me, Doc, I'll stay in this marriage until it kills me. Doc, this job is killing me. You know, I've seen corporate executives climb the ladder, all of a sudden, you know, get an MI, and, they, and they're looking at the ceiling in the CCU for five night, five days and nights. I go in and talk to them, and they say to me, Doc, I'm in the wrong job. I know I got the, why I got this heart attack. And even, you know, marital situations, like I said, I mean, these are colloquialisms, but basically they're true. I mean, people got to realize that emotionality, in my opinion, trumps all the other risk factors. And I, and I feel that emotional cleansing, 
And the biggest thing that people need to do is tell the truth. Tell the truth about themselves. Um, you know, in my practice as a heart specialist, I've had refractory hypertension. So Drew, you have an understanding of refractory hypertension as a naturopath, right? Right, I mean, that's, that's hypertension that just does not respond to any other therapy. Right, it doesn't respond to drugs, doesn't respond to my body, doesn't, it's just, it's one of these situations where you fail as a physician. And believe me, I've had this in my, in my practice and it's kept me up at night. You know, Dad, there's a term out there called alternative medicine. And I just don't like that term because the medicine that you and I practice is, is more integrative, it's more preventative. And I think those are more accurate terms because alternative sounds like there's an alternative to the system, right? So if you, let's say if you and I are eating healthy foods, we're exercising, we're getting out in nature, how is that alternative to pharmaceuticals or to surgery, right? That, that's, that's primary, in my opinion. That needs to happen first. Exactly. It's, it's, it's preventive. I mean, it's preventive medicine. Let's face it. We can, you know, call it complementary, but it's really preventive. Look, Drew, you, you really said the body has the wisdom to heal itself. All we need to do as clinicians is get the person on the road better traveled, so to speak, empower them to fortify their body with natural remedies that can help heal the body. I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, a non-inflammatory diet, for example. I mean, that's key, right? And we have a future podcast you know, planned about, you know, eating the right diet. The second one would be what? What comes to mind? Exercise. Exercise, great. I mean, we can talk about the proponents of exercise. Uh, I like mind-body medicine. Great. I mean, that's my that training component. as a psychotherapist. That's number three. What would be number four? Well, as a naturopathic doctor, detoxification. Okay. Something that we all need to be doing every single day. But we'll get more into that later. And you don't, and listen, you know more about that than I do. It's a natural path. I mean, you have lived that for years. I mean, I am really excited to have this podcast with you later on because I think we can empower people. If people detoxify their bodies, they're halfway there. Exactly. That's halfway to optimum health. And, and also the fact of just being out in nature can be really healing. I mean, one of, my, one of my slogans is nature is the best medicine. And I truly believe that. Being out in nature, immersed in the wilderness, in the woods, is healing. And the last pillar of healing, which you really talk about, is targeted nutritional supplements. In my practice, I, I couldn't practice without them. I mean, I, I need to have them. And the reason is, is because in, in you know, what I do with naturopathic medicine, I'm trying to use the least force necessary, right? The, the least um, invasive modality to help people. And oftentimes starting off with some nutritional support or with it as like a supplement that has vitamins and minerals in it, or I may use herbs that may have anti-inflammatory benefits or anti-parasitic or antibacterial or anti-yeast qualities and et cetera. Because what I'm trying to do is just to support people with using the least force necessary. Because one tenet in medicine that I really believe in is do no harm. And if you start off using basic things like targeted nutritional supplements, you're not going to do any harm, or at least if you use them appropriately, you won't do any harm. That's a great conclusion to the Hippocratic Oath, Drew. Do no harm. I love it. Okay, folks. So now we're going to switch gears a little and discuss the importance of body by nature. You're tired. You're achy. You just don't feel good cancer, heart disease, whatever itis you've been diagnosed with, guess what? The root cause of all that is inflammation. But what does that really mean? We're going to let you in on the secrets of diet and other actions that you can take to have a body by nature. 
Body by Nature is really taking a closer look at what we're putting into our bodies, specifically food. Right, you know, foods can be healthy and foods can be inflammatory. I mean, look at all the inflammation that's fostered by the foods we put into our body. Look at the amount of sugar we take into our body, Drew. Well, you know, I think uh, the latest statistics was saying 152 pounds of sugar per year per American. Yeah, I think it was closer to 160, but that's Maybe right. it is 160, but I mean, that's think a high about level. That. I mean, and why do we have 100 million diabetics in a country? I mean, sugar is one of the things that's in the American diet, and we must, and I would emphasize, we must Look at our diet as a way to prevent illness and disease. So a non-inflammatory diet, in my mind, is one of the key pillars of healing the human body. So as a naturopath, sugar and the microbiome probably has a particular affinity for your profession. Is that correct to say? Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, we, you know, what we talked about earlier was that uh, sugar in general is pro-inflammatory. Right. And what I see for the gut microbiome is that when people consume a lot of sugar, it creates a state called dysbiosis. And dysbiosis just really means there's an imbalance of gut flora. So in other words, it's going to really mess up your gut flora and make it not uh, health promoting for you, but more disease promoting. So I always tell people to get sugar out of their diets, whether that is in the form of soda or other hidden forms of sugar, right? You know, if you're consuming lots of uh, salad dressing or, or ketchup, right? That's, that's a, one thing with my kids that I just can't get them to decrease their consumption of is ketchup. It's loaded with sugar. Correct. So there's all these hidden sources of sugar that people are getting and uh, it can be tough to eliminate. But once you do that, you're going to support the health of the flora and the microbiome. We'll talk more about the gut and the microbiome in a future podcast. Sounds good to me. You look at going to the grocery store, okay? You're walking down the aisle and you see all this processed food to the left and right of you. No one is overseeing if that's okay for you to consume, okay? That stuff's just on the shelf and it's there and there's, there's no guidelines around whether maybe you should be eating this, maybe you shouldn't. It's really in our hands whether we choose to eat that food or not. And we really need to become educated about what is good food and what is not good food. You want the organic fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, you want the organic meats and things like that. And a lot of stores don't have it. So what are the healthy foods that we can tell our listeners to really take in more often in their body? Yeah, that's a great question, Dad. I mean, I look at uh, fruits and vegetables. You mentioned, uh, you know, organic meats. So if you are, you know, a meat eater, whether that's doing organic chicken or organic beef, whatever it is, lamb, fish. I mean, you know, I'm a big proponent of eating, you know, cold fish like uh, salmon and halibut. That's smaller in size. Sardines are good for people. I like recommending nuts and seeds. Fish is a great way of uh, taking in omega-3s. I mean, look at our meal last night. You know, we both we had, had fish. fish. Yep. You know, we walk our talk. And why are, so, why are omega-3s so important? I mean, it's a natural path. I mean, this is your territory. Yeah. Well, I look at omega-3s as being really anti-inflammatory. Exactly. And we're talking about inflammation today. So I look at omega-3s being good for the brain, being good for the heart, being good for the joints, being good for the body systemically. I got to tell you, the Seattle Heart Watch study that was done years ago showed that if you ate two fish meals a month, you could reduce your sudden death by 50%. I mean, think about that. That's amazing. That's incredible statistics. But if you can eat fish a couple of times a month, or better yet, take in omega-3s in a supplement every day, this is one supplement that I couldn't practice cardiology without. I always said if I was stranded on a desert island, I would want some CoQ10 and omega-3s to be washed ashore. Well, let's talk about quality for a moment because I mentioned, you know, some cold water fish that I like to recommend, which is like salmon and sardines. These, you know, generally smaller fish because what happens is these fish can accumulate, you know, toxins over time in their body because they're swimming in an ocean that unfortunately 
is toxic right now. So it might be some heavy metals or some PCBs that are found in the fish. So why does quality matter for fish oil then? Well, quality is essential because if you take in fish oil, you don't know if those fish are older fish or heavier fish or been in the fish for a long time where they you know, can take on pollutants. So flame retardants, for example, which I found in whales recently and stuff like that. So I've been a big fan of you know, squid oil. I like calamarine oil. You know what the magic of squid oil is? I mean, let's face it. A squid can live in the ocean for about 450 days. And they're smaller. You know, they, they, they only weigh a couple of pounds, so to speak. So if they're only in the ocean for a limited amount of time, a short period of time, they can't take on the petrochemicals, the flame retardants, you know, you know all the toxins that are in the oceans today. Dad, what we're talking about right now is the skinny on fats. And I, unfortunately, there's this myth out there that, that fats are bad for people. And, and yes, there are some bad fats out there. There's also many good fats. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, fat is a complex subject. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's saturated fats, there's monounsaturated fats, there's trans fats, which are really bad. I mean, well, I mean, speaking of other oils, okay, so we, we love, you know, squid oil. Oh, I love squid oil. Right. Absolutely. Right. We, we love eating fish. What are some other oils that, that you know, patients listening to this or viewers listening to this can really bring into their diet? What else? My favorite oil or the secret sauce of the Mediterranean diet is olive oil. I mean, I, I've been an olive oil, I hate to use the word, but I've, I've been an olive oil freak for years. I mean, my grandfather brought me up on olive oil and thank God he did. I mean, if you look at the pre-demand study, you know that study that was done in Europe several years ago? Uh, they had close to 8,000 participants. They were divided up into three groups. They had one group would eat the American Heart Association diet, you know, touted as a healthy diet, you know, low in fat. And then they had another group who, that was eating a handful of nuts a day, just like the seven-day Adventists in America, you know, eating nuts that showed, you know, uh, a paucity of illness. And then they had another group taking in four tablespoons of olive oil a day. The pre-demand study showed less heart disease, less cancer, less Alzheimer's disease, less diabetes, and it all boils down to inflammation. There's less inflammation. I mean, you know as a naturopath that inflammation is the root cause of all disease. So, so olive oil is helping reduce the inflammation then? Absolutely. And the way it does it, olive oil changes gene expression. Since we all have pro-inflammatory genes, it makes sense to take in a substance like a monounsaturated fat like olive oil, which changes pro-inflammatory genes back to the non-inflammatory condition. It doesn't get better than that. That's amazing. And if you look at the world's cultures, where is the longest longevity of, of peoples? I mean, where are they? They're in a Mediterranean basin. By the way, Portugal and Spain just passed Okinawa as having the longest living people in the world. 86 point, I think, seven years is the average longevity. Now, in America, it's 79 years. What are we doing wrong? Allegedly, we spend billions of dollars on health care, and we are not eating enough monounsaturated fats like olive oil. So I'm all in on olive oil. Well, here's a tip for our listeners. And I'm sure you'd agree with this. You don't want to cook with olive oil. You're right. You, you don't yes. want to saute vegetables over, I think it's over 350 degrees. Because what you're going to do is you're going to oxidize that oil, which is then not going to be good for you. Well, you're going to make it a, a saturated fat as opposed to a monounsaturated fat. Correct. Yeah. So if you're going to use olive oil, you know, perhaps drizzle it over some tomatoes and mozzarella or on your salad or something like that. Or your vegetables. Or your vegetables. Exactly. Yep. Now, look, last night we had dinner together. We both had fish. What was our appetizer? Artichokes. Yes. 
What are the benefits of artichoke, for example? That's part of the Mediterranean diet. Well, we know artichokes are really good for the liver. Exactly. You know, artichokes are actually also a prebiotic, right? Which yes. can help feed the microbiome and the different flora there. So multi-uses of artichokes. Artichokes, I just feel, is one of the healthiest things you can take into your body. I mean, it has remarkable effects on the absorption of carotenoids, for example. I mean, uh, the medicinal aspects of artichokes are huge. And as a liver support in this day and age, when non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is really on the rise because of all the toxins in the environment, it makes sense to eat like the Mediterranean. And I would put artichokes at the top of the list. Now, here, here's, a, here's something we should bring up to the, uh, the listeners. We dipped our artichoke leaves in butter. What's your thought on butter? Butter's fine as long as it's organic. You know, I mean, I, I like butter. Butter has a, you know, more saturated fat in it. But I don't throw saturated fats under the bus. Look, some saturated fats are fine. There's no question. I believe more in the monounsaturated fats. And I love the omega-3s like we just talked about. If you want to take in saturated fats, that's fine. I'm a big uh, proponent of coconut oil, for example. I think people who use a lot of coconut oil, I think this is conductive to their health. However, there is always controversy in the medical literature on coconut oil. There always is because, remember, some of these oils are long-chain fatty acids, which can accelerate oxidation. But, but again, I just feel that, uh, to me, saturated fats in the form of coconut oils is fine. So a key takeaway here that I'm hearing is that, it, you know, oils in moderation, certain, certain ones, uh, are okay. So if we're going to have some saturated fat, we're going to consume some butter. Grass-fed butter, organic yes. butter in moderation is okay. Absolutely. And really, the quality of the fat matters. So, Drew, I mean, what do you use for cooking? Well, I, I do use, you know, olive oil for very, very, very light heat. I like to use coconut oil because I generally saute lots of my vegetables in coconut oil. And uh, I'm also privy to avocado oil. Now, it's a monounsaturated oil, and you can actually use it on a little bit of a higher heat. And it doesn't have that much flavor to it, so it's a great cooking oil. Now... You don't use canola oil by any chance, oh, do you? Oh, never. I <laughs> would, would never use that oil. I haven't used that in probably 20 years. I mean, canola oil, let's face it. Canola oil is good for machines, but it's not good, not for, good for human body. bodies. No way. So for our listeners, if any of you are using canola oil, please do not use it. That's a takeaway, folks. That's a pearl. So, Drew, we talked about fats. Um, what are some other food taboos that we need to talk about? People listening to this, you've probably heard of gluten-free or dairy-free foods. And I got to tell you, as a naturopathic doctor, I take a lot of my patients off of gluten-containing foods and dairy-containing foods. And, and here's the reason. A lot of people, uh, they, they can't break down the proteins in those two food groups. So let's talk about uh, gluten and sensitivity, right? Basically, what happens is people, they, they have a difficult time breaking down the gluten, and it creates inflammation in the gastrointestinal tract. And this is partly why people develop bloating from it. And it's really funny. You ask people... Well, how do, you, how do you feel when you have a burger here or you have some pizza or you have some pasta? I, I, doc, I get bloated. I get bloated all the time. But then you ask them if they go to Europe or Australia, they have wheat. Generally, they don't get the bloating. So there's something about North American wheat that leads to excess bloating. And also, you can have systemic symptoms happen from gluten. So, for example, people can sometimes get skin rashes or they get headaches or they feel really fatigued. And, you know, the only way to really know if you have a gluten sensitivity is to go off gluten entirely. And this is, people listening, this is bagels, pastries, pizza, pasta, crackers, beer even has gluten in it. And you gotta be really careful. You gotta give up gluten entirely for around two, three weeks, and then see what happens to your symptoms. Maybe your bloating goes away. Maybe your brain fog goes away. Maybe you have joint pain 
that goes away. And then you reintroduce the gluten back in, in whatever form it is, whether it's bread, and you see what happens. Maybe joint pain comes back, maybe your brain fog comes back, maybe you feel really tired. And at that point, you know you've got a gluten sensitivity and that's a food that you should not be consuming. So there are certain people that may have it in their genes, but you can also acquire this. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I think what's going on these days is that we're seeing a higher incidence of celiac disease. Yes. And we're also seeing a higher incidence of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And really what I believe what's going on is there's something happening in the North American wheat production. We know that there's a lot, there's a plethora of chemicals that are being sprayed on, on wheat containing products, glyphosate being one of them. And we know that glyphosate was originally patented in the 1970s as an antibiotic. Okay, so it's, it's messing up our gut microbiome. And we know from research that um, glyphosate actually causes zonulin, zonulin release in the intestines. And zonulin is going to break up these tight junctions that hold cells together. And it's going to lead to something called leaky gut. So we're creating this perfect storm of consuming wheat that's sprayed with chemicals like glyphosate, which is creating a lot of this acquired gluten sensitivity. So what can we tell our listeners to do? What are some takeaways of pearls about their diet? Well, I always tell patients, you know, as a trial, you know, you might want to give up gluten for two, three weeks and see how your body feels. Another food group that I like to, you know, tell patients they should probably give up for a little bit is dairy. Specifically if they're having congestion in their sinuses or their child's having a lot of um, ear aches or, you know, ear infections, or they just don't feel like they have the best cognition happening. They feel like they're in like this brain fog. I always tell people, you know what, just give up dairy, see how you feel. And if you feel better on it, well then reduce your intake of it. So if you have a child in your family that's not right, something's wrong, or well, let's face it, any illness in the family, any unexplained illness, the right thing to do would be to give up gluten, sugar, and dairy, just as a start. It's a great start. So our listeners can be their own doctors, so to speak, and just do that as a start and see if symptoms go away. And, you know, there are other food allergies and food sensitivities out there, like, for example, eggs or citrus, or some people react to the nightshade family, which includes stuff like peppers and tomatoes. And oh, the nut allergy is huge. Even nut, on an airplane, nut allergies I mean, are they're not serving days. nuts anymore. Right, so there's, a, there's this huge incidence of allergies to foods that we're seeing these days, which is, which is not really common. I mean, as a kid, did you see any peanut allergies? Very rarely. Yeah, now every classroom, there's usually a sign out front that says, you know, no nuts allowed or no peanuts allowed. So, Drew, how is food allergy connected to leaky gut? Right, well, what we know is that when people are eating foods that their body's going to react to, it can create inflammation along the GI tract. And when there's inflammation there, the tight junctions that hold cells together, they can break apart. And food particles and proteins and different bacteria, they can actually move from the gastrointestinal tract into the bloodstream because there's no barrier anymore. And when that happens, the immune system begins to get overactivated. And what that does is create this continuous loop of inflammation. That's what leaky gut is. So it's the immune system saying, I gotcha. Yeah, it's the immune system just reacting to things that it normally shouldn't react to because it's coming through the gut wall into the bloodstream. And, you know, the good news is, you know, we've talked about some foods that, that may not uh, or actually will promote inflammation. But let's talk about some good foods here. So we know fruits and vegetables, right? Oh, yes. Number one. I mean, that's something that if you're walking in a grocery store, stay out of the middle section. Go to the, go to the perimeter, right? Those, those end aisles because that's where there's going to be fresh fruits and vegetables. And that's what you want to be primarily eating. And as a cardiologist, I love onions and garlic. I mean, they lower blood pressure. What are some other fruits and vegetables that you like? Oh gosh, I mean, uh, broccoli comes to mind immediately, you know. I mean, broccoli contains sulforaphane. 
And this is an incredible phytonutrient that heals. But if you eat sulforaphane combined with the lycopene of a tomato, you get a synergistic response. And uh, there were articles in the literature stating that uh, these were great derivatives to eat in combating not only breast cancer, but prostate cancer in a male as well. You mentioned these phytonutrients, and what I like to tell patients is when you have a plate in front of you, you want to have it like a rainbow-colored plate oh, yes. of fruits and vegetables. So you get the yellows, the greens, right? Everything in there, the orange color. So you're getting all this mix of phytonutrients in there and antioxidants. Yeah, if you look at the carotenoids, for example, or beta-cryptoxanthin, I mean, that's found in mango. I mean, yellow fruits and vegetables. So it's important. These pigments have, you know, different constituents. I mean, look at red wine and resveratrol, for example. I'm not a big proponent of drinking red wine every day, but it's one way of getting resveratrol in the body. You know, resveratrol, it's in the lining of the red grape, and it's very medicinal, especially on mitochondrial function. And as a you know, heart specialist, I really key in on mitochondria. I mean, I think mitochondria is one of the essences of, of anti-aging medicine. So whenever you bring mitochondrial support to the table, and resveratrol does it, turmeric does it, you know, they fight off age glycation, which is really another factor in, uh, in the diet. So I'm all in on these phytonutrients. I just think that uh, healthy organic eating is, should be a part of every day's uh, nutritional program. Well, you know, you mentioned turmeric, and that's definitely one of my favorite spices that I like to cook with, whether it's like a curry chicken. Oh, or, a curry chicken sounds you know, great. I mean, I love to sprinkle even turmeric on my eggs, and, um, you know, turmeric is an anti-inflammatory herb. I consider it like a food, though. It's a thing, right? It's more like a, it's more like a food, so you just want to add it into your daily daily regimen. Turmeric and resveratrol are two of my uh, favorite nutraceutical, you know, polyphenols and carotenoids and, you know, that whole class of, of, of phytonutrients. I, I, I just think uh, we need to take more of them into our body on a daily basis. And, and that's why I formulate vitamin and mineral supplements. Look, there's no doubt about it. A healthy diet is key, but sometimes we can't get all these valuable phytonutrients in a healthy diet. Well, I think what our listeners need to understand, too, is that the foods that we eat today are not as nutrient-dense as they used to be. You know, what I tell my patients, and this is what I do with my family, is, uh, you know, we try to strive to uh, eat organic whenever possible, right? And, you know, if, if organic isn't an option for someone because of the cost, well, what I recommend that you do is go to the EWG org website. It's www.ewg.org. And on that website, you'll find a list for the dirty dozen fruits and yes, vegetables, sir. which are, as that said, dirty dozen. You do not want to be consuming these foods unless they're organic. And this is, you know, apples and pears and strawberries and such, right? Well, the worst three, I mean, in my mind, are apples, peaches, and strawberries. So you listeners out there, your takeaway here is you must and I want to emphasize, you must, if you're going to eat these fruits, they got to be organic. Peaches, strawberries, and apples. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, the stat that I came across a couple months ago was that in the United States, there's one billion pounds of pesticides sprayed in our foods every single year. One billion pounds. I mean, I can't even fathom that. I, mean, I can't even just think about that. So, you know, when you're consuming foods, number one thing you want to do, first off, is consume foods that are not sprayed with chemicals. So there's the Dirty Dozen we talked about. There's also the Clean 15, which is another list of foods you can find on the EWG right. website. And these are, 
things like uh, onions or garlic or avocados or mangoes. They don't have to be organic. Avocados, you can get conventional avocados. You don't have to spend the extra for organic. And that's what I do when I go to the grocery store. Same thing for onions and garlic, yeah. And uh, I also tell people that, you know, if you've got a local farmer's market near you. Oh, I love that. That's going to be the best because, listen, the food is coming locally. So you're not going to lose a lot of that nutrient content via shipping long distances. Because on average, if you're shopping at a grocery store in the United States, the the food is being shipped 1,500 miles on average. And over that time, that's going to be over days, maybe even a week. The nutrient content is going to go down steadily. Now, do, do I dare mention chocolate here? Is it? Why? No. <laughs> Drew, good point. High polyphenol chocolate. Run with it. Let me hear it. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think of uh, chocolate being a really high antioxidant, right? right. Food. And um, chocolate also has a lot of magnesium in it as well. Yes. I don't know if you knew that, but lots of magnesium in it. So when I tell people, hey, you're going to reach for chocolate, just reach for a darker chocolate, like let's say uh, 80, 80% or 85% or higher. And at least you're guaranteed to not get as much sugar in that chocolate compared to eating like a milk chocolate bar you're going to be getting a fair amount of sugar in there and not necessarily all those compounds from the chocolate itself they're going to be healthy for you folks i don't want to ruin your day but white chocolate and milk chocolate are out (laughs) they're out of my diet if i'm going to eat chocolate the darker the better because remember this dark chocolate not only brings the polyphenols to the table like drew has mentioned but dark chocolate is one of these constituents that can help support blood pressure lowering I mean, I've used it in my, my patients, and I've had great success. And you don't have to eat a lot of dark chocolate. One or two squares a day, of, you know, four to five days a week is enough to get this polyphenol content into the body. And while we're on the topic of polyphenols, let's just briefly talk about teas and coffee. Oh, yes. I, I'm a big fan of coffee, and uh, I always buy organic, yes. fair trade coffee. And I'm actually into buying coffee that doesn't have mold or mycotoxins in it. So that's another big piece for me is I, I tend to avoid the, the coffees that have mycotoxins. In well, that's a subject for another show. It is. Totally. You we'll know, talk about that I at mean, some point. I mean, you're the mycotoxin guy and the mold top guy. I mean, I want to hear about this. Well, we'll talk about it. But for, for teas, you know, I'm a big green tea guy. and I learned that from you. I watched you green, drinking green tea growing up. So do you still consume that? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. As a heart specialist, there was a study that came out years ago. It was about what beverage would prevent coronary artery disease. It was an incredible study. They, they looked at, uh, I believe it was a Japanese study, and they looked at different beverages that they took into their diet, whether it was black tea, green tea, sake, red wine, white wine, beer, you know, all these constituents, uh, all these liquids. And none of them were supportive of heart health except for green tea. The, and, and they did coronary arteriography on these, on these uh, volunteers and it was amazing. Green tea was the one nutrient that prevented coronary artery disease. And when I read that study, and it was a study of about 500 people, you know, a good end number, I said, oh my gosh, I'm all in on green tea. That's great. That's great. Now, you mentioned red wine earlier. We talked a little bit about sure. red wine and resveratrol and such. Well, what's your overall take on alcohol? Not good for the body. Moderation is key. And for our listeners, if you don't drink alcohol, don't drink it. However, if you do drink alcohol, I like red wine because it brings, a, it, it brings a lot of nutrient value to the table. But again, one to two glasses a day, maximum, maybe four to five days a week. Now, look, we've all heard about the French paradox. I mean, these people in France who have average cholesterols of 250 to 275 have the lowest incidence of heart disease in Western Europe. However, they have the highest incidence of cirrhosis in the world. So in other words, sure, resveratrol in red wine is... is really positive in heart healing, but again, moderation is key. I do like red wine, 
small amounts of it every every day or every other day of flowing. You know, I'm, I'm finding more and more that a lot of people are reacting negatively to red wine. It's like this kind of theme these days where people come in and they say, Doc, I, I, I drink a glass of red wine, I get a headache that night, and I feel hungover in the morning. It could be the pesticides and insecticides. It, it yeah. could be. And, and some people are sensitive to sulfites. And I also think, yeah. doing the work that I do with patients, I, I think that mold is high in certain red wines. So it's really hard to find a really good quality red wine out there. You know, Drew, it's a good point. I, I think organic red wines are the way to go. I mean, I, I think as a society, we've got to be thinking uh, the more natural, uh, the better. Today, we've been talking about inflammation and how certain foods in the diet can be pro-inflammatory and how other foods can be anti-inflammatory. What may our listeners not know about inflammation? What else is there out there that may help with inflammation? I think the best way of alleviating inflammation is walking barefoot. You know, barefoot on the beach, barefoot on grass, barefoot on concrete. Even on your, if you have a basement floor that's concrete, walk barefoot. Or you can hold your, your faucets in your home because, you know, your faucets are grounded and where, where the water comes out of them. Or you can sit on a chimney, you know, on the, on, the, on the hearth, so to speak, and put your hands on the brick or stone. I mean, I think bringing natural energy into your everyday life is essential. Well, grounding, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but grounding and earthing is something that we always did. As a culture, right? We always did it as people way back in the day. We, we slept on the ground. We had leather soles of our shoes or our moccasins or something like that where we were connected to the earth on a regular basis. But today, we're wearing rubber-soled shoes, right? We're moving from one box to another to another, from our home to our car to our office, back to our home again. And we're never really in contact with the ground anymore. But we become disconnected as a society from Mother Earth. Everybody walks on rubber. You know, and, and we're disconnected, whether it's sneakers or, you know, all these different uh, rubber-soled shoes that we have. It disconnects us from Mother Earth. So for listeners right now, what they can do is they can they get home from work. They can take off their shoes. They can just put a chair in the grass, sit down for five, ten minutes. Yes. And they've been grounding, right? Or, or better yet, the best thing I like to do is go to the beach, to walk barefoot on the beach along the water. Who doesn't feel better when they go to the beach? It's the greatest anti-inflammatory, and it's free. That's the amazing thing. Now, I sleep on grounded sheets, and, and I, use, I use grounded footwear. I mean, for the ladies listening out there, go back to those leather shoes. I'm telling you, those thin leather shoes, perhaps they could save your life. I mean, the, the, the medicinal aspects on grounding, for me, are just incredible. So if you're an avid gardener, take off the gloves, you know, and... and Put your, your hands in the soil and, and work with those plants and, and get that Mother Earth energy. I think it's just incredible energy to take into the body and it does everything right, I'll tell you that. And, you know, I mean, on another level, even on a spiritual level, if you want to call that, grounding is really a way to connect with Mother Nature. It's a, it's a way to connect with Mother Earth. It's something that we're just not doing these days. We're so focused on work and other things and we don't get enough time in nature. I would like all our listeners to bring the Earth back into, the, into their living room. All right, we talked about a lot of things today. Uh, and in summary, not all fats are bad. Sugar is bad. Many fruits and vegetables are anti-inflammatory, like we talked about. Especially colorful fruits and vegetables. Colorful fruits and vegetables, exactly. And taking a walk in nature grounded every day. It's something we should all be doing. And remember this, canola oil is a toxin, but olive oil is the secret sauce of the Mediterranean diet. So before we wrap up our premiere episode, I wanted to introduce you to one final feature that will be a regular segment on the Be Healthistic podcast. 
We're calling it Wellness Wisdom. And it'll consist of all sorts of interesting tips, facts, studies, and trends having to do with that day's topic. It'll give us an opportunity to give you one last tidbit of information to take away with you, which hopefully will make an impact on your overall wellness, because small tips can add up to huge benefits. So with that, our very first wellness wisdom tip is an extension of what we've been talking about today. Having a body by nature means being more conscious of what our bodies are telling us, really working with our health providers to find root causes of health issues, and finding more natural solutions to treat and heal our bodies when we're ill or in pain. Being more green in terms of our environmental footprint is another expression of this. So, in the spirit of natural solutions, I wanted to provide a few tips on how you can be a little bit more green in your everyday life. First off, use less plastic. I know it's tough to avoid using plastic because it's everywhere. Most manufactured products contain some form of plastic, and discarded plastic items are clogging our landfills. The surge in drinking plastic bottled water has only added to the problem. Additionally, most plastics release harmful chemicals that can lead to cancer, birth defects, and other diseases. One of the biggest health offenders is a group of chemicals called phthalates, as well as a chemical called bisphenol A, or BPA. Whenever possible, avoid plastic and instead use glass or reusable water bottles. Next, we all clean our homes on a daily basis, so switch to natural or homemade household cleaning products. Most cleaning products contain toxic chemicals that are harmful to your health, as well as the environment. Exposure to these chemicals can cause headaches, gastrointestinal disturbances, central nervous system disorders, joint and muscle pain, immune dysfunction, and even cancer. Fortunately, all sorts of natural cleaning products that are safe and won't pollute the environment are now widely available in stores and online. Another option is to make your own cleaning products using ingredients such as baking soda, distilled white vinegar, or hydrogen peroxide. We'll provide a link to some examples of our homemade cleaning products. I hope these tips are helpful to you and that they contribute to your overall wellness. Remember everyone, if you liked what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com, as well as on our social media channels. Check it out. Thanks, folks, for tuning in. This is Be Healthistic, and I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, a health and wellness podcast powered by our friends at Healthy Directions with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.